Good. No more pen clicking. No more pen clicking. No, we gotta be serious now. Very serious. Yeah. It's real life. Maybe. Maybe is the keyword. Yeah. I'm trying to stretch my neck out still. It's 360 degrees? No, I told you, it's not yeah. gonna be that bad. It's just a little tense. <laughs> just a little tense. Just a little bit. Yeah. Sort of so. like our topic tonight. A little tense. A little tense? Sounds yeah. like a rapper. A little tense. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. So we're going to talk tonight on this episode of Parababble. The Exorcist. The Exorcist. Not the Linda Blair Exorcist. You've met her. I have, yes. yes. Yeah. Under Underwhelming? Um, yeah, it was a long line, and it took a really long time to see her. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you did, was it like, thanks, night, all right. I was like, cool. You signed my <laughs> my Blu-ray copy of The Exorcist, which is in my basement still. Your Blu-ray copy. Yeah. Hey, this was like 10 years ago. And, uh, uh, and that was that. That's funny. Well, we wanted to talk about The Exorcist tonight because... You and I were talking just, you know, in conversation. We were just babbling like we normally do. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago about the remake that's coming out. And the original. And then that got us thinking about the original, original story. The real story that it's supposedly based on. Yes. Because, you know, it has that based on a true story. Yes. Or whatever. Yes. So... I was surprised how much information there actually is about the real person. So was I, because the movie is, like, huge. Yeah. And then, like, you always kind of see the tag, like, oh, based on the true story or whatever. But they never really pushed it. Probably because they didn't have to, because it was such an awesome, scary movie on its own. But you never really heard about, like, okay, how real is this? And, like, what's it really based on? Do you think that the remake is going to live up to the hype of the first one? Well... I mean, it, it's, it's going to already be better than the other ones that followed the first one. It's, those I, were not good. From what I've heard, I don't think it's like a full remake. I think they have like some of the original people coming back, and it's like, uh, like kind of a sequel to the original, where they kind of forget the sequels that came afterwards. They forget that they made those really crappy ones yeah. after the fact. I think the same people that were doing the recent Halloween movies are doing it. So Which, there's hope. Mm, did you see the last Halloween movie? <laughs> I didn't see the last one. I saw the one before that one, but it wasn't good. It was awful. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's like, can't you just leave a classic alone? Yeah. But the story's a good story. It is. Especially when you start to find out that some of it is really true. Supposedly. It's my favorite word. Well, okay. So you're going to preface pretty much everything you say during the show tonight with supposedly? Well, yes, supposedly. (laughs) So the book was written... So the movie came out in 1973. The book was written in 1971. So at least we know where those timelines are. Those are fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. So William Blatley, who wrote the book, finds out about this real-life exorcism that supposedly <laughs> takes place... In, what, 1949? 1949. So he's doing some research for whatever purpose, and he comes across this story of exorcism from 1949, and he does the research and reads up about it and says, wow, this would make a really awesome book. 
So he basically writes the book The Exorcist. Yes. And then along comes Hollywood knocking on the door going, hey, this is a cool book. This would make an even better movie. So that's that's how it happened. Yeah. And now here we are in 2023 mm-hmm. going, we have no new ideas. No. So <laughs> that was a really there cool... There hasn't been any cool exorcism since then right? that I know of. <laughs> I'm sure if there was, they'd put it on TikTok or something by now. Well, there probably are some on TikTok right now. If you search exorcism on TikTok, you probably find some videos out okay, there. I'll do that later. Yeah. <laughs> but probably none to this degree. Or that were as, as well documented. Yeah. Turns that, out there's like a lot of information. I was very surprised. Yeah, me too. Because like you hear like the common ones, like the Emily Rose and, you know, some of the other well-known exorcisms that have gone on. But how did this one fly under the radar for all these years? I don't know. Because the movie is so huge. And you think now because the guy's passed that that makes it like people are more apt to talk about it? Maybe. Yeah, because he did die in 2020, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for the longest time, like his, his real name and identity wasn't out there. That's why he goes by Roland Doe. Roland Doe. Roland Doe. D-O-E. Mm-hmm. And then I also came across some other things that referred to him as Robbie, too, in some articles. So they were definitely trying to keep it quiet. Yeah. His real name has since come out, but Roland Doe, I believe, is the yep. common name he's referred to. And from what I read, a lot of people in his life like didn't even know. Only very few people really knew that he hmm. was the guy. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I know, like, going through it, like, a lot of his family witnessed and experienced things when he was going through this. So, it starts, I believe, what, February, March of 1949? I have January of 1949. Now, we have two different sources, and there's all sorts of different stories. So there are. So, things probably won't add up. And I have, like, completely. even when I was doing my own stuff for the show, it was like, okay, I found a very specific timeline, and then I found another timeline, and the origin story is a little bit different. So we'll have to see, like, what you found, too, and compare some notes. But January to March, 1949. Roland Doe is 14 years old. We can agree at least on that. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I got a firm thing on his age here, but I, I got 13 years old, so who knows? <laughs> okay, well, he was yeah. 86 when he passed. Okay. So we know that for a fact, right? All right. So. Math. This is no fun. Everyone's turned the episode off now. He would have been born in 1934. Okay. So, so. some more quick math. We said 49, right? Yeah. So he would have been 14 years old. Okay. Okay. So we're going with that. So he's 14 years old. And there was two different origin stories that I saw. One involved a Ouija board, which of course it has to. Of right? course. Because you can't have an exorcism and, you know, somebody needing that kind of, unless you have a Ouija board. And then I read another version where there was no Ouija board. Hmm. Okay. What I read involved a Ouija board. From his aunt. Yes. Okay. Aunt, so Aunt Tilly. Go with that, because at least that is similar to the one story. Yeah. About what happened. So his aunt Tilly's a character. 
That's what it sounds like. Yeah, she's all into like spiritualism and mysticism. Mm-hmm. And young Roland, at his young 14 years, was like, I really would like to get a Ouija board. And Aunt Tilly's like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I thought like the commercialized Ouija board didn't come out until after that, but. There's a good question then. I'm going to do a little research. Why don't you go through yeah. and I'll, I'll look so, that up. So, yeah. So, Aunt Tilly and him were playing with the Ouija board. And then they say that's kind of set off the strange happenings that started around the house. Then shortly after that, they would hear strange dripping and scratching noises uh, heard from within the, the Doe family household. Which, by the way, the Doe family household was Roland Doe, his mom, his dad, and their grandmother. His grandmother. Um, so they, Roland and his mom were tracking down these weird noises to the grandmother's room. And in the room they saw a picture of Jesus and it was shaking as though something was trying to knock it down. Just like swat the Jesus picture out of the, out of the wall. <laughs> Get out of here, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So eventually the source of the noises went from the grandmother's room to Roland's over time. And also around this time, Aunt Tilly dies. Which is suddenly, but I can't imagine it was too unexpected. She died from complications from MS. So she knew her time was short and she was like, guess what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure you have a Ouija board so you can contact all sorts of spirits on the other side, including me. Yep. Gotcha. So that's what they tried to do after she died. Okay. Um, they started experiencing these noises again in the house. And the family then tried to communicate with whatever was making these noises, by saying, hey, Aunt Tilly, if that's you, knock once or twice. And you'll set off the chupacabra <laughs> in the studio. And so they asked her to do these things. We're protected. And you hear the knocks. Gotcha. This happens like two or three times. So after this, one morning they discovered claw marks in Roland's mattress. Which is not really sounding like Aunt Tilly anymore. Right. And then at one point a bed sheet stood up on its own and Roland's bed would start to violently shake by itself. And then objects would start flying around when Roland was present. Okay. And this wasn't isolated just to the Roland household. Oh, okay. It also happened to him at school with his desk. I did so, read that also yeah, somewhere, the, too. The teachers thought he was just being, like, an a-hole kid. Yeah. And eventually it got so bad that he had to stop going to school. Yeah, a lot of... Uh, I read that one of his classmates described him as, like, kind of being a messed up kid. Like, he was into some dark stuff. Yeah. And not, you know, quote-unquote normal. And almost, like, spoiled. So when all this stuff started happening... It was kind of just brushed aside at first. Yeah. But then it got so intense that couldn't really say it was him causing any of those things. Yeah, so... So he's kicked out of school. Kicked out of school. Aunt Tilly's on the other side. Mm-hmm. Not scratching and making noises. No. So now there's something going on. Yeah. And then this is the part that I kind of found really interesting. And and throughout this whole story, too, because you look at the time frame, 1949, um, at this point, Roland's family starts 
taking him to the doctors to like kind of see what's going on with him. So he was tested for epilepsy, and they also took him to psychologists. So it's pretty, I don't know, that's pretty, pretty progressive advanced. for that time. I think so. Yeah, and nobody found anything physically or mentally, well, wrong with him. And Roland now, it got so bad that he would start thrashing around at night and barking and talking in a voice that did not sound like his own. And his parents would witness scratches showing up all over his body, all by themselves. And that kind of confirmed that they weren't self-inflicted because they just kind of saw them spontaneously show up out of nowhere. Okay. So things are obviously getting more intense. Mm-hmm. And they've ruled out medical at this point. Ruled out medical. Psychologists ruled whatever they were testing for out at the time. So on February 7th, the family called in Reverend Schultz. Um, so he too was also skeptical of Roland and sent him for more psychological testing, which is interesting. Uh, eventually, Schultz suspected that there was a poltergeist involved. So to prove this, uh, Roland was to stay the night with the Reverend because that activity does not go from home to home. So, you know, it's contained to like one area. Um, the same exact things occurred at the Reverend's house. The bed shaking, the thrashing, the noises, the weird voices coming out of Roland's mouth or whatever. Um, eventually it got so bad that the Reverend had to tie Roland to a chair. And then that chair even moved on its own and fell over with Roland still tied to it. Um, so the family, they weren't Catholic. They were Lutheran. And at this point, the Reverend Schultz was like, you guys should go see the Catholic Church because <laughs> I can't do nothing about this. <laughs> so, you know, good old mm -hmm. Catholic priests coming in to do nothing. Pretty much. If anything, they made it worse. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the stuff that goes on after that first set of exorcisms definitely was not happening pre-exorcism. Mm -hmm. So the priest comes in, even Fa though they're not Catholic. Yeah, Father Hughes mm -hmm. was the first priest brought in. Um, and I don't know what you have from him, but I have something that says that... Uh, the first time they went to go visit Father Hughes, he claimed that the temperature in his office dropped as soon as Roland entered the room. And he said his phone just slid across the desk on its own. And Roland swore at him and said things like, Oh, priest of hell, why do you bother me? Which I think is a direct line in the movie, isn't it? Is it? I think it is. That's what is really funny when... Funny. Yeah, it's amusing. Uh, when I was researching this, I was like, there's a lot of similarities to the movie, supposedly. Yeah. That happened. Yeah, from the book to the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From the real story to the book to the movie. Which you usually don't see that. It's right. It's like, oh, it's complete bullshit. Or... Well, because the book was so had so much in it mm -hmm. that it made for a good movie. Yeah. So Father Hughes believed Roland was possessed by the devil because of his Ouija board use. And got approval for an exorcism by the Archbishop in Washington, where they lived. They lived in Washington, D.C. at the time. Um, so he wanted to do an exorcism at the hospital. So they checked Roland in under a fake name and restrained him. Uh, during the exorcism, Roland broke free of the restraints and grabbed a spring from the bed that he was strapped to. And he cut Father Hughes' arm so deep and long that supposedly it required over 100 stitches. 
and this is where I have highlighted in the little note, maybe none of this ever happened at all because there's a lot of conflicting stories that say it didn't really happen. Or, there are a lot of conflicting stories. Yeah. Or it wasn't as dramatic as these claims. Right. So you're at the point where he's in the hospital, right? And they're performing. He's per- Father Hughes is performing an exorcism. Right. Or he tried to. So Aunt Tilly dies of multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. Supposedly when she dies, people notice that they get hit with this like wave of air, which is crazy, right? Like, what is that even about? Three knocks are heard on the floor. Roland's mother says, if you were Harriet, tell me positively by knocking four times. Four knocks were heard. Yeah. Okay. So now they're thinking like, this is, this is the ant, right? This isn't anything bad. Three days later, they're hearing squeaking shoes on Roland's bed. And then they hear that for six nights in a row. So now they're hearing footsteps all around the bed. Six nights in a row this goes on. So they call in Schultz. Schultz comes in. Roland spends the night with him. Reportedly, Schultz hears scratching noises and witnessed bed vibrations, a chair in which Roland was sitting in tipped over, and movements of the blankets. So it's sort of similar there. Yeah. So this is why I wanted to kind of compare it, because I feel like if we're both getting some Mm -hmm. of the same information, then those are the things that I'm more apt to believe. Yeah. So then Schultz has the family take Roland to mental to the mental hygiene clinic at the University of Maryland for testing. After two rounds of testing, nothing abnormal is discovered. So that is the same still, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. But Schultz also contacted J.B. Ryan, who is the founder of the parapsychology laboratory at Duke University. See, that I didn't hear. And Ryan and his wife, Louisa Ryan drive up from North Carolina to evaluate the boy, but while they're there, they see no activity. Then, about a week later, scratches or markings start to appear on the boy's body for four consecutive nights. Words begin to appear, um, and it seems to be like scratches by claws, and I have information about different sets of words. So the one that I saw spelled Lewis, which is why the family thought he had to go to St. Louis University. Yeah, I did hear about this. And then that's where they go to meet um, two other priests that also perform an exorcism. Mm -hmm. But then I also read that the words spelled... Oh, so it also says that it's spelled Lewis, but then when they asked for how long, it's three and a half weeks appeared. And then when should they go now appeared. So that's a little weird. Yeah, so where our mind kind of veers off of what you had is after the father Hughes attempted exorcism, they just saw that the family thought that moving would help and that they just happened to have other family in St. Louis. So they moved from Washington, D.C. to St. Louis. Interesting. Yeah. So where are you at now in your your version of the story? So before they go to St. Louis, mm-hmm. these words start appearing. Father Hughes um, 
of the St. James Catholic Church in Mount Rainer is called upon to review the case. Hughes suggests the family use blessed candles and holy water and special prayers. Um, Hughes reportedly witnessed unassisted movements of a telephone and other objects in his office. So that's similar. Yep. Uh, Roland made obscene and blasphemous remarks at him in a strange, diabolical voice. Yep. That's similar. And the room became unexplainably cold. Also similar. Hughes was convinced that Roland was possessed and requested Cardinal Patrick O'Boyle to authorize an exorcism. So then it looks like he gets admitted to the Georgetown University Hospital. Um, And that's allegedly where the first exorcism takes place. His mother sees the bloody word Lewis scratched on Roland. The boy is asked if the word Lewis means St. Louis. He says yes. Um, And then the word also appears. And from what it described, no one saw like the actual word forming. It was like all of a sudden there was just the word. So I thought that was kind of interesting because it wasn't like you saw something being scratched in. It was like all of a sudden it happened all at once. So the family departs to Missouri near St. Louis to stay at a home of an aunt. Yeah. Okay. The shaking of the mattress and the scratching resumed at the aunt's house in Normandy. And then Father Bishop of St. Louis University sees the family for the first time. Bishop witnesses the scratching on Roland's body as well as the motion of the mattress. And then Father Bowdern of St. Francis Xavier Church was asked to meet Roland. And then Father Bowdern read the novella prayer of St. Francis Xavier, blessed the boy with a relic, and placed a crucifix under his pillow and after everyone leaves the room, a loud noise was heard and reportedly a, loud, a large bookcase had moved about. A bench was turned over and the crucifix had been moved to the edge of the bed. The mattress also reported to shake. Okay. Yeah, so similar where where I saw the story after they moved to St. Louis. Um, all the activity kept going on. And so at this point, they're living with like aunt, uncle, and cousins. And some of the funny things that I found amusing is that <laughs> Roland would uh, just randomly stare at his little cousins and just kind of say in a sing-songy voice to them, like, you're going to die tonight. Which is very evil dead of him. Yeah. No kidding. And then he would write things down constantly, like like he was possessed, because he was. Automatic and, writing. Yeah, like automatic writing. That's what I was looking for. He would write things like, I will answer in the name of Spite. And that's when they got Father Bowden, evo- Bowden involved to uh, see what he thought was going on. And I, one of the things that they kind of emphasized and what I was researching is that Father Bowden seeked permission to uh, have an exorcism performed on Roland. But he was not wanting to do it himself because it wasn't his specialty. He didn't know anything about it. He didn't know how to do it. He wasn't trained how to do it. So he requested that someone else do it. But the archbishop or cardinal or whoever it was that approved it said, no, you archbishop. have to do it. Yep. Joseph E. Ritter. Yep. He said, you have to do it. And he wanted him to keep it quiet. So that's also what I have that um, 
Bowdern was the chief exorcist, oh. even though he didn't want it to be that way. Yeah. Reverend Walter Holleran was the assistant exorcist, but he was removed before the final exorcism. Father Lawrence Kenny and Father Charles O'Hara of Margate University were all present. Lots of priests, man. Yeah. The story I heard this is a fourteen year old boy too. Like it's crazy to think about. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about four or five grown men in a room with like this fourteen year old boy and all these priests are like scared crapless. There's a joke in there somewhere about Catholic priests in a room with a 14-year-old boy, but I'm not going to go there. I wasn't going to go there either. But that's intimidating, uh-huh. right? So you feel yeah. like if this kid was, like, faking it or this wasn't really happening, like, he had so many outs before it got this crazy, you know, to be like, okay, all right, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm cured. I'm, yeah. you know, I don't need this still. Just kidding. Right. But it got really crazy after that. They did like 20 exorcisms. Yeah, they did a ton of them. And it started in the home, like the aunt and uncle's house. Which is even more nuts. Like, what did Mm -hmm. everybody else do while this was going on? Just like hang out? Yeah, exactly. So uh, March 16th is the the exact date that I have here for the first exorcism in the house. That matches. Yeah. Yep, so that must be legit. It's weird how it's been so consistent, kind of. Um, Yeah, Father Bowden, the bishop, and, and I have another priest, which is Father Halloran. Uh, went to the house to perform the exorcism. And I don't know how true this is, but in the story that I heard, Father Halloran was, like, new, and he had no idea what they were going there for. <laughs> oh, just, my God. He just thought, because, like, I guess one of his jobs was to, like, kind of just drive around Father Bowden, because I guess he was older and had trouble doing these things. And he just thought he'd be waiting in the car, just drop him off, and he didn't even know what was going to happen. But he's like, no, why don't you come in and... That's what he walked into. Could you imagine? <laughs> like, you just, like, it's your first day on the job. You think yeah. you're going to go, like, give, like, last rites to, like, a poor, old, you know, dying person who's been, like, a devout, mm-hmm. you know, Catholic their whole life. And then you walk into that. Yep. This kid's, you know, and I, I also wanted to, like, hear more, like, specific examples of some of the vulgar and awful things that he said. Because they didn't, like explicitly say that they just said that he kept saying horribly vulgar and explicit things which matches the movie too right i mean you've seen the movie some of those things are super disturbing Mm -hmm. but that's also what i heard that he became violent he spit at the priests he howled and he growled the bed shook he you know allegedly such words as satan and the devil appear on his chest as scratches yep i think he even broke somebody's nose at one point and i think that's in the movie too isn't it I think so. Um, so I have here on the first exorcism, you know, scratches and marks showed up on Roland. And he described it as feeling like thorns were showing up. And I guess, too, at this point, like, Roland would go from having, like, uh, moments where he was completely overtaken with whatever was supposedly possessing him. And then having, like, moments of clarity where it was him. Actual Roland speaking to him. Yep. Um, and he would snap out of it sometimes when the priests sprinkled them with the holy water. And he would describe it to the priests when he was actually Roland as fighting with a slimy red devil. So he got very violent 
and had abnormal strength when they started to pray to St. Michael. Uh, eventually, he would pass out in the early hours of the morning and not wake up until later in the afternoon with no memory of what happened and acting completely normal. I feel like that's always what happens when you hear about these exorcism stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People so, don't remember, you know, they're up for like hours and hours and hours at a time, sometimes like days on end, no sleep. Yeah. yeah. The physical bodies start to fail, you know, all those kinds of things. Yeah. And it didn't work. The priest had to keep coming back night after night and eventually to stop disturbing the rest of the family. Like you said, like, what is the rest of the family doing here? The mom, dad, aunt, uncle, cousins. Uh, they admitted Roland into St. Francis Xavier Church at St. Louis University. Uh, I My story has that too. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that it just says that it was, the exorcisms were too violent to keep being performed in the home. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets moved to St. Francis, mm-hmm. where this also proves to be too dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, I have here in my notes that it just this just makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, who who would have thought, right? Yeah, and actually you know. here's here's the nose-breaking thing. This is where the, that takes place. Is uh, it takes several men to hold Roland down and he even punches Father Halloran breaking his nose. Yep. So then they take him to the psych ward. Yep. Where else are they going to take him, right? It sounds sounds about right to me. And then the exorcisms still continued at the hospital. Yeah. I mean, this is insane. What I don't understand is, and I find this to be interesting when it comes to all cases of exorcism, why does it take so freaking long? Yeah, you're talking months now at this point. Who knows how many exorcisms? But all these cases are like this. It's like, you know, especially the ones where people have died. And then you hear that it was like 50 or 60 exorcisms. Yeah. This goes on and on and on. Like... How? They have to find how? a way to streamline these exorcisms. And, like, how is yeah. how is the other side so powerful <laughs> that it takes five priests? Well, they're demons, right? You know? Supposedly. 50 exorcisms to finally get rid of one demon inside a 14-year-old boy. They're demons. I don't know. I mean, maybe I've just watched too much Supernatural. It should be easier than that. I know. You get your sulfur shotgun and <laughs> call it a day. Right. So... Eventually, and I don't know if you have this, but they baptized him Catholic. Yes, yeah. I did see that. Yeah. So after like, you know, 50 exorcisms not working, they were like, oh, genius idea. Maybe we should baptize him yeah. in the religion that we're trying to exorcise the demon out of him from yeah. for the last X amount of months. I, I have that here. And um, I have a, uh, a little tidbit that said that uh, after the family decided to get him baptized on the way to the church... He has an absolute fit in the back seat of the car, jumps in the front seat, grabs the steering wheel, and almost kills everybody in the car. And I have that three days after he was baptized, they took a brief trip to Maryland by train, and he became so violent and attacked Father uh, Bowdern, kicking him in the testicles. Hmm. I didn't hear that part. Yeah. I have him attacking his aunt the next morning after the baptism. And even breaks the sink with how strong he is. So, obviously, that didn't help anything either. No. Right? So, then after that, he goes back to the White House, which is the name for the Jesuit retreat along the Mississippi near St. Louis. Because they brought him there because they didn't know what else to do with him. And then he attempts to commit suicide by throwing himself over the bluff into a river, but is prevented from doing so. By one of the priests. Father Halloran. Yeah. 
So now this kid who's been through all of this is just like, forget it. I'm done. And they're like, no, we're still going to save you. Yeah. Like crazy. So then they return him back to the hospital, place him back in the psych ward where he's restrained again. And they perform a final exorcism. Yes. I have it as April 18th, 1949. I don't have the exact date. I had it was Easter or Easter, Easter Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the last thing. And then he's cured all of a sudden. Do you have any of the details on the last exercise? No, I don't. They're insane. What? <laughs> share. Please okay. share. So. As on, if this story wasn't crazy enough already. Yeah. So on Easter, they try to make Roland take communion. It doesn't work. Uh, the devil in Roland tells the priest, and this is an exact quote. That isn't enough. He has to say one more word. One little word. I mean one big word. He'll never say it. He'll never say that word. I am always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. So shortly after this, the priest noticed that Roland himself, like when he's Roland, is praying like crazy in between the bouts of the devil popping in and out during the exorcism like it always does. Uh, At one point, he stops and says, Satan, I am Saint Michael, and I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominius immediately. Now, now, now. He then has a violent seizure for ten minutes and then just stops. So he exercised himself. It sounded like (laughs) Saint Michael took possession of him. (laughs) So he was like double possessed. He exercised himself. Yeah. He channeled an archangel. Yeah. So (laughs) then Roland becomes lucid and smiles. Uh, He says that he had this vision during this exorcism, this particular session, where he was standing outside of a cave and saw a man wearing a robe with long wavy hair bathed in light with a fury sword. St. Michael. Um, The man points to the cave and Roland sees the devil in the cave. Uh, the man speaks to Roland, but he only hears one word, Dominus. Dominus, sorry. Uh, when he says the word, the demons or demon were barred up in the cave, and the word spite shows up over the cave. Um, so, skeptical that it's over, Father Bowden prays to God to show him a sign that it's done. At this exact moment, a loud boom is heard across the entire hospital, and there are also random reports of a glowing figure that looked like St. Michael being seen in the chapel of the hospital. Uh, there was rumors that the devil actually jumped to one of the priests or another patient somewhere in the hospital, but who knows? Who knows if there even was a devil in him to begin with. But the interesting thing, too, is that one word was Dominus, and the word that showed up over the cave that Roland saw said spite, and earlier, much earlier in the story, when they were doing the exorcisms at Roland and Roland's aunt and uncle's house, there was something that he said that I wrote down that said he would say things like, or he would write down, I will answer in the name of spite. He would write that down when he was automatic writing. All right. So that's a little... A little crazy? Well, yeah. Because you always know, like, once you know the name of the demon... Yep. The demon is powerless. 
right? Like that's like the whole thing with exorcisms. That's why they're always trying to tell like, who are you? What is your name? You know, and like they're always like, screw off, priest. I'm not telling you anything. And that's kind of what happened here, supposedly. Right. He was writing it down, mm-hmm. if that's really what his name was. Yeah. Did you look up to see what that word was in Latin? Dominus? Mm-hmm. No. I'm just curious. Because I'm sure it means something. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is that he's Roland would uh, speak in Latin when he was possessed. Right. But I also heard that some of the priests said that he wasn't really speaking Latin. He was just mimicking what they were saying in Latin. Which I also think is in the book and in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that it's not true Latin. So Dominus is master. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I have read a lot of exorcism stories, and I've never heard one that involved an archangel. Yeah, that's what's interesting about this. It's almost like, because the priests were, and had been praying to St. Michael for a while before this. Hmm. And then, yeah, I guess he just showed up. All right. So. And that was the end of it. That's the end of it. The guy goes on, lives a full life. He became a scientist for NASA. Yeah, right? He a got married. engineer for NASA. And Father Bowden officiated his wedding. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. He goes on to have like a normal life. And then I don't know if you heard what happened right when he passed. No. This was like super creepy to me, but a really interesting tidbit. Right before, so his partner, they said it was his partner and they don't identify the person, um, said that right when he had passed... One of the priests showed up at his house to do his last rites. Like, they knew. Just a random priest? Yep, that he was passing. And they showed up to give him last rites. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's weird. I know. And that was very recent. Yeah. That was 2020. Yeah. So, like, what are the chances of that happening? Hmm. And I don't think he was, like, sick to the point where anyone would have known to, like, check on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's like once you're touched by the hand, I don't, I don't know what happens after that. I don't know. So, is it real? Who the hell knows? <laughs> <laughs> but it makes for a good story. I mean, I feel like the one thing I struggle with with all of these kinds of stories is that, like... People are not Catholic. Yeah. Usually. And it everything I read said that he was not religious at all. His family was devout, but he was not, especially his mother. And obviously his aunt was not because she was into other things. Yeah. So I always thought that like very devout people are the ones that typically get targeted. Yeah, you gotta wonder though too. It's like just the time frame, the time period. It's like, where did he get all these things? Because everything that he's done is like, if, if this happened now, I'd be like, okay, this idiot just watched a bunch of scary movies. But right. he is the source of the scary movies. Right. And he was so afraid that like people would find out who he was that I read that even every Halloween he would leave his house because he was afraid that somebody would find out who he was and like come there. And hmm. like he lived his whole life being like very scared that people would find out about his... Yeah, it's him or his family never obviously didn't want to capitalize on it because they never even knew his name until right. after he died. It right. didn't come out. And the movie was obviously changed quite a bit and went from a boy to a girl and obviously all the names and whatnot. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad he survived because <laughs> I don't think a lot of people that go through these exorcisms do. Yeah, I don't know. That would be an interesting topic to, to research, exorcism deaths. There's been quite a few of them. Next week on Parababble. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we've done some different stuff about exorcisms, but mm-hmm. this at least was a... What I found... Like, it's crazy about this story, too, because this is probably the most famous... Out of all of the stories that have to do with like people and exorcisms, and even then, there was still so much contradictory information. Yeah, not as much as I thought, though. Comparing my story to yours. Yeah, I think the main points were mm-hmm. right. The time frames are a little wonky. Yeah, a little bit. And some not of the details. Much. Mine came from a documentary on Discovery called "The Exorcism of Roland Doe." So the time frame that I got came from Last Gaps. Dot com, which is a paranormal group. There was a whole case study on it, which I thought was actually really thorough. Yeah. But again, like, what are the sources that you're using? Yeah, that's the thing. But, you know, and I could assume that there's probably not a lot of hardcore information because this stuff was even more taboo then, you know, than it is now. Yeah. I mean, I think now it's like if people were really going through this stuff, there'd be way more information out there about it. The fact that he kept this his secret his whole life and his family kept his secret. That no one knew his name until after he had passed. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I hope the new movie does it justice, I guess. I hope so, too. Because the first one scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope so. 